everyone. We are back, and today we are kicking off season two with Cindy Poitz. Cindy is the founder of Supernola and CEO of its parent company, Evolve Brands. As a former Wall Street banker talking about a career change, Cindy applied her analytical and research skills to solve her health issues stemming from food sensitivities. Her unique approach created a snack that allows consumers to enjoy eating healthier anytime, anywhere, and to feel full longer. Welcome to the podcast, Cindy. Welcome to the Fork and Lens podcast, brought to you by Viscal. Ooh, smells delicious. Big congrats on being named as a top pick for Expo West and Veg World Magazine. Oh, thank you. I know. I'm super happy. And I honestly couldn't have asked for a better review. Well, especially with Expo West not really happening too. Yeah. So no sales have come out of it yet. (laughs) (laughs) But you've been in Walgreens. You're in a couple of different grocery chains. You're exploding. It seems like you're having this overnight success, but I know all too well the the grind that you have been in for the better part of five years. Yeah, seriously. I can't believe it's been that long. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you've grown Supernola and then how Evolve has come along and all those different things. Um, So uh, growing up, I was always sick and kind of in and out of doctor's offices with no answers as to why I was feeling, you know, really run down, always upset in my stomach, a bunch of kind of issues. Um, And I kind of just accepted it and gave up on doctors. (laughs) Um, And then fast forward, I was working in New York. I used to do investment banking. And first day on the job, my boss yelled at somebody in front of everybody uh, for taking a sick day. And that was my kind of like the moment that I realized I need to figure out what's going on because I'm sick all the time. And it was literally, I was sick all the time. Mm -hmm. So I really got serious about health. Um, The one thing that my mom always taught me was, you know, food is kind of the healing element and everything, but I didn't kind of put two and two together that really the issue was food. And it wasn't just that food's the healing thing, it's that food's the issue. Mm -hmm. So I got obsessed with nutrition um, and figuring out myself and kind of self-diagnosing through an elimination diet. Um, And along the way, my problem was really snacking. You know, with my job, I was at my desk for endless hours, or I was on the road for endless hours. And Mm -hmm. I just really needed a go-to snack that I could have anytime, anywhere, and gave me energy to keep going and had as much goodness in it as possible, but that I actually wanted to eat um, over something else because I enjoyed to eat it and it was delicious. Um, Obviously, I couldn't find any of that. So (laughs) I started making it myself. Um, And it took me about two years of just testing and getting obsessed with ingredients and superfoods and doing a ton of research about different kind of exotic ingredients that we don't typically see at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Uh, And eventually Supernola was born. So. Yeah. And I think I first came across you um, when we were at a local chamber event and it was food related and you had some tastings and you had granola on top of a homemade lemon curd that was out of this world. Like I blew my socks off. Um, and you know, you really kind of did work that farmer's market, local food scene route until 
you began to grow. Yeah. And I originally started out, I was living in LA at the time, um, in LA farmers markets. And that's where Mm -hmm. I got all of that really good, super honest, um, opinions that like you Mm -hmm. you need that when you're creating food brand, you need to just be listening to people and what they're saying. And, you know, big data only shows you so much. And I can tell people from like every single crazy thing I've ever heard based upon, you know, one little word that I put here and what that made people think and stuff like that, you know, just things that you can't, mm-hmm. you don't know until you've been there and done that. Um, right. and really that and all the samplings that I did in Pennsylvania and everything, it really gave me a much better view of what people like and don't like and want and don't want and things like that. Yeah. It's like a grassroots version of focus groups. Mm-hmm. Yes. Over a much longer period of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it also allowed you to make tweaks along the way. Like, okay, I've got that fixed. Now what? Mm-hmm. And you could kind of just, you know, make those really small rather than coming out of a focus group and being like, okay, they don't like this, 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 and this. But if I took out one of those, would it make the difference for everything else? Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, it's kind of taking the the tech startup approach to it. You start out with a product that you think is decent enough and then you continually make tweaks along the way. And even today we're making tweaks. Right. Food safety meeting yesterday where I brought up all these ideas about different things that we can do and little tweaks to the product that, you know, other people might not notice, but Mm -hmm. it'll ensure that the product gets to them the way that I want it to get to them. So constantly doing version, you know, we're probably at like version 250 by now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is, uh, the grease, um, the BD 40, that the reason why it was that specific number, it was that version of them experimenting to create something that stuck. And that was the recipe they went with. Exactly. So I wonder if they've tweaked it since. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Right. It's like once they trademarked it and had all the packaging done, they're like, eh, we can't really go to 41. (laughs) Okay. So how did Evolve Brands come into play then? Yeah. So um, the the other part of the story, once I kind of created Supernola, um, you know, my dad was diagnosed with ALS um, Mm -hmm. and that was really the trigger that made me kind of want to jump into entrepreneurship because before that, you know, I had a nice cushy job and everything. And, um, but I wanted to have the flexibility to be with my parents. And I kind of realized I wanted to figure out how I could make a difference in the world versus just, you know, be a greedy banker. So um, (laughs) that's when I moved back to Pennsylvania, um, with my parents and really started Supernola full time. And immediately I realized I had no idea what I was doing. And I'm pretty sure you met me when I was in that spot where I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I had no idea. So at least I knew. The same. Um, First step is acknowledging. <laughs> so that's when I was just networking like crazy. And luckily the Hershey company is right there. Mm-hmm. And I got into the Hershey network. Um, and that's when I met my partner now, Frank, who had mm-hmm. all of the experience and connections and stuff to help bring this product to really the mainstream consumer, like was the goal. Um, so in that we, you know, we knew we couldn't keep manufacturing out of my what 800 square foot space that I shared with a juice company in Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we started looking for 
co-manufacturing. Um, and for the specific process that we do, it just kind of doesn't exist. Right. So eventually we found uh, Gorilla Goods and they were in a spot where they were looking to sell the business. And I can't say that I ever imagined I would own a manufacturing facility, but we kind of quickly moved and the conversation went from co-man to purchasing the brand, all of the assets, all the manufacturing facility, everything. So that was when we decided to form Evolve Brands as kind of the holding company with right. Supernola as the primary brand and then the Gorilla Goods brand that we bought underneath. Which is amazing because, you know, you went from kind of just trying to figure this out to acquiring another company, creating a holding company, becoming a manufacturer, and it just opened up a whole new world for you. Yeah, and it was really the the kick that I needed to really have things start to go and move yeah. forward that I wanted them to. So how did you go about that growth? Because obviously you were kind of doing the organic growth thing for a while and then this opportunity kind of hit you and you switched over to more of a venture capital model. How did you make that decision to go one way or the other? What were some of the pros and cons that you weighed? You know, at the time I kind of did not think about it at all. <laughs> Okay, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, literally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I realized what I was getting myself into fully, but it was kind of just like we need to do something, and this is the key to get us there. That's you know the opportunity that's presented itself, and I've always stayed nimble throughout this whole process, um, which is so important, especially mm -hmm. right now during COVID and everything. Yeah. But I don't think I realized what I was really getting myself into. You know, and the, the financial background of me, I guess, kind of makes sense that I would be more interested in this path than, you know, an uh, organic growth path and, you know, grow slowly. Um, but I did not plan this. <laughs> yeah. So if I were someone who didn't know the difference between the organic growth path versus what you're doing, how would you explain that? Especially since you come from that financial background, I feel like you have some really good insight there. Yeah. So, I mean, the organic growth path is really, you know, it's much better if you have a product that has higher margins because mm -hmm. it allows you to be able to do that much more easily. So if your product is inherently a lower margin specialty natural food product, then it's very, very difficult to do that. You know, if you have higher margins, then you're much, you know, your path to profitability is going to be a lot quicker than otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, right off the bat, you know, we do organic products that are, you know, single serving. So low dollar amount, single serving organic snacks, you know, it's very hard to have high margins in that. So uh, inherently your product will kind of determine it, but you could always just keep slowly growing. You know, you have your startup capital, which is likely what you contributed or maybe like a friend or family that helped you. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just grow each year based upon the cash that you can put back into the business that it generates. And then if you go another route where you have investors, whether it's venture capital or angel investors or private equity, you know, you're raising funds to kickstart that growth and really take a step forward versus slowly growing year after year. But then you always have to think about, you know, what's your exit strategy. So two very different ways of growing. And, you know, I started out with that organic growth pattern, mm -hmm. uh, but 
I guess the the finance person in me kind of kicked me too. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so what, you know, you talked about the rounds of investing and you've been through a couple of rounds. What has that process looked like for you? And what are the, what's the difference that it's made for you at the same time? Yeah, it's so different because it's not something that you know about until you've gone through it, I'd say. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, no matter what you read or hear about from other people, you don't really understand what it entails until you go through it. <laughs> um, so we started out just, you know, self-funding the company ourselves. And then we wanted to really understand what we had before we went out and did kind of a friends and family seed funding round. Mm-hmm. Um, so we waited about six months until we really understood, you know, what, you know, who are our customers? Why do people buy these products? how in the world do you run a manufacturing facility? <laughs> Basic thing. Um, and then we went out to friends and family and we really targeted their industry people because, you know, Frank and I were a two man team and there was an unlimited amount of things that we didn't know and that we couldn't do. And the best way to leverage that is to have really active investors or at least ones to help bring something else besides money to the table. And that's so, so important early on, Um, you know, the advice that we've gotten from these people and just, you know, the things that they hear in the industry too, it's just, it's invaluable. Um, And that was a long, tough process, especially when you're dealing with friends and family, you know, it's a, it's a long courting process and very different from institutional investors who do it professionally because you're working around their schedules, you know, it's not a top priority. And they don't quite understand urgency in your company as much as you would hope. So, right. Right. So it's, you know, that, that was definitely frustrating. And then, you know, with so many people, it's like, oh, you know, this person, don't you know, and trust me, you know, the personal relationships get into it. So it's a little bit of a definitely hard way to do it, but a good way to start because you get to have people who know you ask questions about other things besides, are you capable of doing this yourself? Right. Questioning kind of who you are. So that didn't come into play really until our series A funding when it's okay. Who are you as an entrepreneur, as a business person, Mm -hmm. can you actually execute this? Yeah. So what kind of impact has that made in terms of your ability to manufacture and grow now that you're up in Milwaukee? Uh, well, we are finally getting some new equipment, which I'm so excited about, but I've never I'm talking to engineers before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. The little things that make such a big difference that you get excited about and everyone else is looking at it like, okay, it's just a machine. <laughs> <laughs> the best machine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Equipment, you know, we're able to really fund marketing programs too, which is huge. Um, Mm -hmm. And fund all those expensive fees for grocery too. Um, Yeah. That's been huge. And it just, you know, you're always constantly worried about money when you don't have any. Mm -hmm. Um, And nobody wants to give you money when you don't have any. Right. Because you have some people are totally willing to give it to you. So it's definitely been much less stressful on that front. You know, I'm not up all night thinking about how we're going to pay bills or anything. So that's right. 
Yeah, it seems like it kind of just boosts you and catapults you into a different level. Like once you hit that Series A funding round and you move forward from that, you were able to buy a new machinery, invest in marketing, and that's where you started to see some of those larger retail partnerships come in too of, you know, working with Walgreens and different grocers and different um you know, yeah. wholesale opportunities that you probably otherwise wouldn't have been able to, I don't want to say get, because I think you could have gotten them without a shadow of a doubt, but at least create the supply that their demand is causing. Exactly. Yeah. Executed is the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, it, it comes down to just, you know, machinery, but also manpower. I mean, if you can't get through it, then yeah, it's a it's, lot of it doesn't do a whole lot for your brand. Yeah, between buying your ingredients, paying people, um, you know, even set up fees and stuff like that that you have to pay up front to get into some of the bigger retailers, you know, and then you won't get paid till 30, 60 days on the back end after you right. deliver the product. So it's a, a wide gap that could be, you know, three, four months, maybe even longer. Yeah. And I mean, you did a really big order for Walgreens right before Christmas, I think it was. And right, I'm at, sh <laughs> right at Christmas, you're like, I spent my Christmas day filling orders. <laughs> um, no, but I, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you to fulfill those big orders. And without the funding, there's no way that you could have been able to pull that off. Oh, there's no way. Yeah. And it was, you know, we were lucky that we got such good supportive investors too, who mm -hmm. were, you know, it was kind of, okay, here's the funding. Now leave us alone for a couple of weeks while we fill this order. And then we'll come <laughs> back and talk about everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I mean, that is the key to success is surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you mentor you, support you and work alongside you when you need it the most. Oh, completely. And you know, I hate watching those TV shows uh, like Shark Tank or other ones where the investors are just so like mean and, you know, like combative with the people because it's like at the end of the day, you don't want an investor that's like that at all because it will be bad for you in all fronts. Um, you know, we love our investors now because they're so supportive and helpful um, and they really get down to issues and they just try to help fix them. And, you know, they tell us when we're doing good and tell us, you know, very nicely when we're not doing good. It's <laughs> uh, very productive. And the TV shows really make it seem like, like investors or, you know, you don't want those kind of people as your investors. Well, that, but the thing that's always gotten me with investors like that too, is the fact that you watch them and I'm going to use Shark Tank as an example, and this has nothing to do with the personalities necessarily on there, but a lot of investors are there, they throw money at it, and then they're, they're not there as a partner. They're just a bank and they're there to make money off the money that they've put in. Um, Whereas There's no way they could possibly have the time with all. Oh of yeah. Either. Yeah. Like the recap videos. I, I just sit there and chuckle to myself. Cause I'm like, yeah, they didn't really show up and help you do this. Someone from their team did if that, and instead it was just working capital for you and you've done the hard work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where it comes back to you want investors that are going to 
you know, be there to spitball with you, to help you through hard stuff, to tell you when things aren't going well, to help you troubleshoot when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. Um, you really want a partner in an investor, not necessarily just someone to write a check. Yeah. And who thinks about your business from a different way than you think about it, you know? Yeah. So many times our investor who um, our lead, our, you know, chairman of the board, he doesn't have a background in the food industry, but he's a you know professional investor and he just thinks about things differently. And he thinks about our company when he's talking to other companies he's invested in and just thinks about things from a very different perspective that brings to light some other things that, you know, we would have never come up with ourselves. So For sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's very important. So what else have you learned since you brought on investors to speed ramp your growth between working with them and just, you know, bringing on these bigger agreements and purchase orders from large companies? Yeah. I mean, you can never predict the unpredictable. (laughs) (laughs) Like COVID? (laughs) I mean, we, Thankfully, we closed when we did, which was before this hit, but, you know, and thankfully our investors are as supportive as they are because when something like this happens, you know, there's no way you can plan for it. Even your stress case model will not plan for something like this. Um, And so just having them be supportive and understanding that, you know, it's not just us, it's everybody and how do we move through it? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. <laughs> it has been interesting. And, you know, I think I think the one piece of relief that I keep in the back of my mind is it's not just something that I'm experiencing. It's not just something that my state is experiencing, my country is experiencing. It's been experienced the whole way around the world. And everyone at different capacities probably. Um, but to a certain extent, we at least saw the wave coming towards the U.S. Whereas, you know, I think of China and the fact that they didn't yeah. even get advance notice. <laughs> like it just happened. <laughs> Although we might not have believed it. <laughs> this is true. This is totally true. I think, you know, for me, it was, it hit the West coast and it was like in my thoughts, but it wasn't completely like frontline and center of, Hey, I need to start thinking about this. Um, and actually someone that is a mentor to Randall and I, made a comment of like, yeah, I'm stocking up on my vodka and my face mask and my hand sanitizer and toilet paper and all these different things. And I'm like, you're insane. Like, we're not going to need all this. And then not a week later, am I standing in the grocery store because I'm seeing the pictures of no toilet paper at the grocery store. And I'm like, I don't want to be this person, but apparently I have to be because otherwise I'm not going to have toilet paper. <laughs> oh yeah. I, it, it's changed everything. And now it's the point where, well, what changes are sticking and what changes are going back to normal? Yeah. So how has your investors helped you navigate all of this? They've been able to bring like really good insight into uh, like what banks are doing, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. they're on the board of a couple banks and they're giving us the kind of the whole economic picture through, you know, what they say, what we hear from other um, people in the industry. Um, And that's really the valuable insight that you need during this time is like what's constantly going on, you know, how are you feeling? How are other CPG companies feeling? How are retailers feeling? 
how are consumers feeling? You know, what's foot traffic like in different channels and how that influences our strategy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, thankfully we're small and nimble and not a big company because we're able to change things at the drop of a hat. Right. And, <laughs> but, um, you know, it just, you need all of that Intel and there's no way you could possibly get that on your own. No. And it just goes back to that partnership mentality, quite okay. honestly. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, pick good investors who are good people. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that for a second. How did you go about vetting investors to know that they were a good fit for you? Yeah, I think you go through stages of it. <laughs> I don't know if it follows the stages of grief or not, but <laughs> you start out and you're like, okay, we need money coming up here soon. And then you meet some people and you're like, yeah, they're not the right fit um, Mm -hmm. or they're not interested in you, you know, it goes both ways. And then you start to get closer and closer to your date. Um, And then you start to freak out and then get a little desperate. Maybe, you know, maybe you're talking to people and you're like, well, you know, but they're all we have, what else are we going to do? You know? And then it gets to a point where you're like, okay, now we really need to pick the right person, you know, the right investor. Um, and so I think if you can just skip to that part where you're like, you know, it has to be the right fit for both of us and they have to be the right person. Um, you know, for Frank and I, it was just like, we want good people who are smart. And yeah. it's funny, I always joke about it, but I came to fundraising with this basic assumption that all investors are intelligent. <laughs> and that <is> completely false. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> No, 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 no. So, you know, it's a, yeah, people are not as smart as you think they are for sure. No matter how many companies they're invested in, they can still be an idiot. So, (laughs) And then it makes you question, how did you become an investor in all those companies? (laughs) Exactly. And how are those companies really doing? (laughs) (laughs) Too funny. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Happy to be on. Instagram, supernola under eat supernola on Instagram, and also check out our product at evolvesnacking.com. Supernola can also be found nationally in Walgreens and in other regional retailers across the United States, as well as on Amazon and at eatsupernola.com. As always, every snack is better shared, including Supernola, so feel free to share Fork and Lens with your team, colleagues, and friends. If you enjoyed today's message, please subscribe to get weekly access as well as leave reviews. You can also check us out at ForkandLens.co or Visco.co. Until next time.